God bless Carrie Underwood, but like, don't let go of the steering wheel. We really need you to hold on. Like, hold on the steering wheel. Jesus does not want to take hold of this. He would like you to take hold of the steering wheel and just act like him while you do. Welcome to The Dismantle, creating community, not converts. Hello and welcome to Dismantle Podcast, a place for community, not converts. I'm your host, Joey. Thanks so much for listening. On this show, we attempt to dismantle an issue that poses as problematic for the church by having a discussion with a guest who has insight or experience with that subject. And if you're familiar with the show, we're not always going to agree, but we're not going to argue because our goal is to create bridges and not barriers. Our guest today returns to us, Justin McRoberts. Hey. Hey, man. How you doing? (laughs) Good to see you. Good to see you. Justin is an author, a songwriter, a public speaker. Uh, His books include Prayer, 40 Days of Practice, and May It Be So, 40 Days of the Lord's Prayer. Man, you're like all over the place as far as creativity. Yeah. I, I am. It's fantastic. Well, welcome back to the show, man. How you been? I've been great, actually, uh, especially given the, you know, most of these conversations right now, is, you know, we're, you know, month 700 or whatever of uh, the pandemic lockdown. So the conversation normally goes, how are you? What level of terrible are you living at right now? <laughs> and, uh, I, you know, uh, I'm good. Uh, things are things are good. Um, I've been you know, yeah, I'm, I'm actually in a good place, which is really good and fun and, uh, redemptive to say. That's awesome. I was saying to a couple people, you know what I'm tired of hearing, man, it's been a crazy year, huh? (laughs) Especially from church. (sighs) Like, like, yeah, we're all sitting on a lawn right now. We get it. (laughs) Yeah. It's a thing we say, instead of saying, you know, you don't know, instead of saying, uh, I don't know where I am and I don't know how I feel, and I don't know what to do. Instead of saying that, we say, oh, it's been a crazy year. I'm like, no, no, it's been, it, it's, it's the year that's been handed to us, and we don't know what to do with it yet. That's different. And there's the show right there. <laughs> Done. <laughs> we could just end right there, but we won't. Uh, Justin, thank you for coming back on the show. Uh, if people are unfamiliar, uh, we talked a little bit about uh, your book the last time you were on, but you also gave us a little bit of your introduction to spirituality and to faith. Can you recap that a little bit for our listeners? Yeah, so I think when we talk about what what is spiritual, um, to consider my whole life um, as in relationship with the divine is spiritual thought. That spirituality, what that which is spiritual is not this thing that's left over after we've dealt with the financial and the social and the sexual and the political, like, it's not like there's this other thing somewhere in the midst of all that, that is spiritual. It's instead to think of my entire life, financial, social, sexual, political, interpersonal, et cetera, as all, all of this in relationship to the divine that in my mind is spiritual thought. So when we talk about spiritual practice, it has to do with being actually fully present, fully, fully present as much as I possibly can be to myself, to the world around me, and to God. That's what spiritual, spirituality is and spiritual practice has got to, over the course of time, include the whole of my person. That's awesome, man. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. So like I had mentioned to you before we started recording, uh, sometimes on the show we talk about works of art, we talk about music, we'll talk about a, a particular topic. Today we're talking about just something you posted. Uh, and it caught me off guard. It caught me by surprise. 
And and it's something I think we all sort of feel, maybe we resonate with on some level, but we're talking about this mindset of it is what it is. Yeah, man. And we've heard that phrase our entire lives. I've used that phrase. Maybe I used it today. I might have. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, Justin, when you hear that phrase, what comes to mind? Like, just so we're all on the same page, how would you define that phrase? I when when I hear it is what it, especially now when I hear it is what it is I hear um, sadness and resolve I hear a divorce from uh, that which makes us unique as a species on the planet um, I hear uh, yeah I hear the sort of I hear a massive uh, chasm between the redemptive story. Uh, of humanity over the course of history and the place in which we actually live now. I, there, there's almost nothing about it is what it is that I like. Actually, I don't like any of it. It's more like there's an element of it that I'm willing to receive given the particular circumstances. But in general, I think it's trash. And it's funny because we not only do we use that, we sort of use it when it's it's almost the, the vernacular version of throwing my hands up and you know I give up. I can't do anything. There's no control that I have anymore. Which is understandable depending on your space. It's not understandable, or I would suggest, it's not um, acceptable for most of us. I mean, I again, like, you know, I'm a 46, I'll be 47 in a couple months. I'm a 46-year-old straight white Christian male. Like, I am, I'm the most empowered, I'm among the most empowered people to ever walk the planet earth so for me to look at a set of circumstances and be like yeah i don't know nothing i can do about it like (laughs) bro what sure there is it's like a world of things you can do about that if there's something bugging you if there's something that's not right there's a world of something i can do about the things that aren't right about or around me to say it is what it is is a way for me to say I don't want to mess with it. I don't want to deal with that. There are other things that are I'm going to prioritize, which like that's that's fine, you know. So we talk about racism and we talk about sexism. We talk about you know when we get into things like it is what it is. It's like well, <laughs> uh, that might just be a way for me to say I don't really want to get involved. Like I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to voice an opinion about racial tension. So it is what it is. I don't want to voice an opinion about. Uh, the you know the mistreatment of women in public and online. So I say what it is what it is. In reality, what I'm saying is like I just I don't want to get involved. I don't have the energy for it. And I'd rather us just own that. Now, do you always think that that's the case? Like, you know, I don't want to get involved, or is it more? Hey, I feel really uneducated about this, and so to to settle my discomfort, I will use that phrase. I think it depends. I think so. In large part, I actually do. In large part, um, I think it is a matter of like I don't want to get involved. And there is a there is a self awareness piece to that for for me. I would suggest most folks, which is it's true that I can only care about so many things. So one of the one of the pitfalls of progressive culture in general is that you have to care about absolutely everything um, to like the uh, you know nth extent, like to the nth degree. And so you have to care about everything. So you've got to be an environmentalist. You've got to be an anti-racist. You have to be anti-sexist. You have to be 
um, you know, you know, pro like the, the, you would go down the list of all the things and you've got to be like on the dot in all of these areas in order to maintain your progressive badge. That's one of the pitfalls of, of progressive culture in general. The reality is like, I can only care about so many things and care about, so, I can only care about some things. I can only care about so many things and I can only care about those things to some degree. I'm limited in the time, the energy, the capacity I have. And I and I think it's healthier for me to say, instead of to say about something that I don't have time and space for, like, well, it is what it is. Instead to say like, I don't actually have capacity to give time and energy to that. I don't have wisdom there. That's, I think, more a more humble posture towards those things. So if someone comes at you with things around, as an example, like right now, voter suppression. So voter suppression, all like all over the, you know, it, the governor of Texas saying like we're gonna only we're gonna only post up like one spot for every like four million miles or whatever the hell there is in Texas between voting spots. Like we're all, we're all gonna like there's only one place for every county I think it is in in all of Texas where you can go and drop off votes. Um, and the push, the broad cultural push for a lot of us is like you should care about that. And I don't think you. Sh- it's not a matter of like you should or shouldn't, but for some of us, it's like I don't. I don't, I actually don't know enough about voter suppression. Is that voter suppression? For me, because I'm relatively informed with regards to local politics, like that smells like voter suppression to me. But for someone who doesn't, instead of saying like, I don't know, just those things just happen, just say instead, like, I don't actually know. I don't have the wisdom. That's humility. Humility is like, I don't, I don't really know. I actually have no idea. I don't know how I feel about that. And then it comes at that weird social cost of like, <laughs> I know that you wish that I did care and I know that you wish I was on your team. I'm not. And part of why I'm not is because I got three kids, uh, a mortgage, and I've decided on which things I care about. Which, you know, to your point of, you know, we have to know, we, we have to be experts on every topic today. We don't want to be seen as inferior. We don't want to be seen as less than or uneducated. And so we have to, we have to give some sort of opinion, even if it's uneducated, we, we almost have to verbalize that. Yeah. The pressure is to have an opinion. I mean, it's, it's the, it's like that weird, um, I, I don't know if there's a great parallel. I'm so I'll give you a terrible one. I don't have a great parallel, so I'm going to give you a garbage parallel right now. It's like being, it's like being like on a basketball team. This is so bad. The more I think about this analogy, <laughs> the analogy, the worse it gets. It's like being on a basketball team and knowing that you're a garbage shot. Like you're just bad. Like you can barely put layups in. And like, they keep calling you onto the court to say like shot 15 foot jumper. And you're like, ah, I know you want me to take this 15 foot jumper. I know as a fact that I won't hit anything, but the pressure is to get on the court and take the shot anyways. Whereas wisdom would say, I would rather pass this ball. Like, don't put me in a position to take this shot. Cause that'll be bad for me. It'll be bad for the team. It'll be bad for the sport. I don't, I'm not trained at it. I, I, I pass. I'm a, def- I'm, a I'm a defender or whatever, but it is very much that way. It's like get, if one, get in the game. Yeah. But what if I'm not a basketball player? And now that you're in the game, take actual shots. You're like, I, I didn't want to be here to begin with. Like, I didn't like, I don't know what to think about transgender people. This is a lot of folks. Like, I don't know what to think about transgender persons. I don't have enough information. I don't understand it. But get in on the conversation is the pressure. And not only get in it, but be right about it. Oh my God. Like, <laughs> that's a lot. And we lose friends and we lose, you know, weird cultural points. 
it's, I would just say, I, I think it's enough to say like, I have, there are only so many things that I can care about. And now I get it. Like there's a whole thing around like what happens with depression, suicide and transgender culture. So it's not just, it is what it is. There's some awful crap happening in and around transgender culture and the culture around transgender culture. But if I don't have the information about it, then I just shouldn't be voicing opinions. I should say, man, I don't know. And I know that it's important and I get that it's important to you. Um, but I, I don't understand it and I don't know, which is like, that's a posture of humility. Which is a great segue to, to sort of, you know, the deeper layer to this, what happens when that mentality that, you know, this house that we've just built about humility and not being educated enough, but still needing to present ourselves as, as with it, what happens when that seeps into our faith? And our spiritual journey. Well, hopefully, it it causes or it perpetuates or kind of sparks a really powerful um, kind of renewal. In other words, um, so Proverbs uh, suggests that the, the the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, um, and I don't think what is meant by that is that like be scared of God. And that will make you wise. I think what that means is like, understand that you're not, understand that you're not, you are not God. You're incredibly limited. You only have so many years on the planet. You only have so much wisdom to understand the difference. You are not God. You have, uh, you know, so much perspective. You are limited as a person. Once I start there, then I get to actually apply the time, the gifting, the energy that I have to the things that I'm most equipped to care about and most, most equipped to faithfully, execute. And then I can actually make a legitimate impact in particular areas of my life. We forget regularly that Jesus had 12 disciples. I'm just thinking, about it. And, and among them, one of them bounced. And, and in fact, all of them bounced at some point, but one of them bounced entirely, just left. But Jesus picked 12 folks. He didn't pick thousands. The thousands gathered, but he selected around him 12 people which is to say that like, Jesus seemed to say like, this is as much as I'm willing to do really well. And I'm going to trust that if I do this small part, well, I'm going to believe that this will plant a seed that will actually have global impact. I can care about this much. I can do something with 12. I don't know what I can do with 7,000, 10,000, 15,000. I'm not even going to mess with that. I know what I can do with 12. There's a wisdom in that for me that like this limitation when I practice my own faith, when it seeps in me, like I can only care about so many things, I can only have so much information about the world, then I, there's a freedom that says like, I, okay, what, what can I know? What can, like, what do I actually have access to? And then begin to ask the question, okay, what can I do with what I know? What can I do with what I'm given? What can I do with the actual skill sets I have as opposed to distract myself with caring about everything, thinking about everything, being right about everything. That takes me away from the places where I actually have strength and wisdom, and now my impact is limited too. Now we've got this idea of it is what it is, but you know, it, there's a spiritual sort of cringeworthy uh, spiritual stepbrother, if you will, of letting go and letting God. I'm, I'm sure you've heard that. I've heard it plenty of times. You know, how, how are those two things different from saying, you know, it is what it is. I can't 
be involved with everything. I don't want to get involved with this, but also saying, well, God's going to do what God's going to do. Therefore, I don't have to hold on to it so tightly. Yeah. I love the way you said it too, uh, that I don't have to hold on to it so tightly. So yeah. So yeah, don't hold on anything very tightly, like hold on, but hold on, like, like hold on loosely, but definitely hold on. Like know that that's, the world is God's to save. I don't know if you, you know uh, um, the the, whole, the book. I'm blanking on the author's name. That the you know the the world is not yours to save. It's one of my favorite books ever. But I love the title. The world is not yours to save. Neither is the particular area of influence that you actually have access to. It's not yours to save. Which isn't to say you're not sent there. So yeah, go there, and be there, uh, and hold your responsibilities and your wisdom loosely. I don't I I don't like the notion of like let go and let God or like get out of the way so God can do his thing. If God wanted you out of the way, God wouldn't have sent you there. So if you're there, assume that a sovereign Lord has actually put you in that position. And the the game isn't to get out of the way somehow. The game is to learn how to be there and look like Jesus. Like what's it look like for you to so like God bless Carrie Underwood. I love you. I do. But like, for God's sake, don't let go of the steering wheel. We really need you to hold on. Like, hold on the steering wheel. Jesus does not want to take hold. Of, he would like you to take hold of the steering wheel and just act like him while you do. So, yeah, like hold it loosely to some degree for sure. But like, if you're there, that's probably yours. So it sounds like connected to what we previously discussed that there is a responsibility like we don't get to, especially as people who follow Jesus, we don't get to just say, Oh, I'm not educated enough and I don't have the skill set, Therefore that's where it ends. Right? No, you don't. But, but I think that begins with knowing what it is. Again, what do you have? What do I have? So for me, what do I actually have capacity in? What do I have skill in? What do I have? Where do I have wisdom? Where do I have? Where have I been empowered? Where have I been sent? Once I know that, like if I do that work to figure out, like where have I been sent? Where are my skills? Where are my access points? Like where can I? Where am I actually sent to be and be present and look like Jesus and do the thing? Where am I sent? Once I've locked in on that, then I can actually begin to say no to some other things. I don't know enough about that, and the reason I can say no to these things is because like, this is the stuff I'm spending my time on. I'm spending 40 hours a week doing this. I've been given to this. I know that I can make something with this. This is what I can make something with. This is what I can do something about. And it's enough to say, hey, local poverty issues. It's enough to look around Contra Costa where I live and recognize that there are like, like 1,500 to 3,000, depending on the week, 1,500 to 3,000 chronically homeless folks in Contra Costa County. Homie, if that's not enough for you to spend your time on, like, come on, that's 3,000 cats without places to live. Like, that's a massive project. That's enough for you to care about. If you try to do that and try to care about, uh, you know, migratory patterns of like, certain birds and uh, like, like you don't have to say those things are unimportant, but you don't have the time and the energy to do this superbly well and educate yourself and fully invest yourself in six or seven other things of the same, you know, at the same level. You can only do so much. So what do you actually care about? What do you actually know about? What can you actually do something about? Lock in, dig in there, and then begin to say no to some things. Because you're right. It's not a matter of like, hey, that's not important. 
It doesn't matter what these people feel. No, it probably does. But if you can't do anything about it, then maybe you shouldn't have so many strong opinions about it. As much as your culture wants you to feel some strong opinions about this, I don't know. If you can't do anything about it, like uh, maybe your conversation should sound more like, ah, I don't know. Like I know my, you know, I've got a sister who really cares deeply about that. I can give your, you know, I can point to her on Facebook and you should talk to her. But uh, I don't know. I don't need to, I don't need to fight that battle. You know, this perfectly sets up a post that you had, uh, you know, maybe you want to unpack it a little bit more, but you had said, you are what God is doing. And it sounds like with what you had just said, like where you are, knowing your strengths, knowing who you are and knowing what you can care about that, that focused really does allow God to do something through and with you. Yeah. Um, Going, even going back to, um, you know, let go and let God or, you know, get out of the way and let God do his thing. Um, the biblical narrative, it's one of the things I love actually about the biblical narrative and the biblical story versus, and I hate doing this, but I will do it, versus a lot of other um, scriptural accounts from other religious traditions is it's a deeply human story, like from the outset, like at the very beginning, God creates this space and doesn't just say, here are all the rules, here's all the stuff, and then just plants people in there you know, to just hang out. What he does is he grants people authority at the very beginning to say, what do you want to call it? You should take care of this. God didn't say at the very beginning, like, hey, I've got it all square. You guys can just kind of lounge and enjoy. He gave them jobs at the very beginning. And you need to tend the garden and you need to care for it. And you get to have this particular, what do you get, like, what do you want to call that thing to have this power over it? They were placed in a position in which like they had power and authority from the very, very, very beginning. So from the beginning, the story of God on earth is a story in which God dwells with and in human beings, manifests, works alongside, in, through, and around human beings. Somewhere along the lines, we did this weird theological thing. It's actually a weird theological thing. I'm trying to avoid getting into like the super, <laughs> like this gross fight. Somewhere along the lines, we just started buying Gnosticism, which is to say, like it, like like my body doesn't matter, my place doesn't matter. That God, disembodied divinity, is going to do something somehow in history, and I get to just kind of bear witness to it and watch and point. But that's not actually what the biblical narrative is. What the biblical narrative is is like there's all kinds of stuff happening in the world, and I've placed you in all these positions and granted you talents, granted you authority, granted you power, political social, financial power in order to actually make impact. That's the biblical story, which is why when God shows up like in fullness, God shows up as a freaking infant and then lives a human life and then dies a human death, which is to say like how you live, where you live, and you are the thing that God is doing. When God did his most fully embodied thing, he actually did it as an embodied person. God was the thing that God was doing as a person. You're always a thing God's up to. So the question, like, what's God going to do about global poverty? <laughs> I don't know how much extra money you got, homie. Like, let's talk about it. What's God going to do about racism? Well, I don't know. What's in your heart? Who's your neighbor? That's always the question. That's the question the Bible asks over and over and over and over. What will you do with what you've been given? When the disciples came to Jesus and like, there are all these thousands of people have been following us around and they're hungry. What they said, and I love this moment, they're like, we should send them home. <laughs> Jesus is like, no, you should feed them. 
which is like such a confounding moment. Like they're, I mean, the, the way the, you know, both witnesses ignore the women, which is a whole other thing, but they're like, there are like 5,000 men, 4,000 men, one put 5,000. So we're talking about like somewhere between like seven and 10,000 people following Jesus and the disciples around. And they're like, Hey, they're hungry. And Jesus is like, you should feed them. And the 12 are like, bro, we quit our jobs to follow you around the freaking desert. We don't have stuff on us. Like, but what he does is like, okay, so what do you have on you? How, what do you do with what you're given? Well, we've got five loaves and two fish. And then he sends them out to feed them. Like that's how it works is he sends the disciples out to feed 50 and 100 at a time. The story is actually about what the disciples accomplish in faith to feed thousands of people. And not that Jesus like, like you, know, foot, you know, NFL football punts a loaf of bread that like manifests into thousands of loaves of bread in the air. Like that's not how it happens. He hands it over to the disciples and says, carry this to 50, carry this to 100. The question he puts on them in the beginning when they bring this massive thing, like what can we do about thousands of people who don't have food to eat? He says, you feed them. What do you want to do? What do you have on you? And it starts from there. It's always the thing. You're all, you are always the way that God is answering the question, what happens next? Every single time. But that sounds incredibly individualistic, which I think is where it maybe should start. Now, how does that translate to the church? Where for all intents and purposes, we have been focused as, a, as an institution on mass and getting the word out and doing the most. How does it then sort of come back to this idea of you are what God is doing? Because the you is always plural. In other words, like when God, when God planted people in the garden, he planted two. When God, uh, when there was instruction throughout the course of the entire Old Testament, there's never, there's like almost never like an individual instruction whether it's the Ten Commandments, the rest of the Pentateuch, whether it's any of the Levitical laws, or whether it's the teachings of Jesus to the folks on to the folks on, on hillsides or the way he talks to the disciples. There just aren't like almost any examples throughout the course of the biblical narrative in which Jesus, in which the Spirit of God, in which God the Father speaks to an individual. You've got like this moment with Moses, and then you have these moments with like just God, the son. And, but then again, the spirit's also there, but like, it's so remarkably rare. And in fact, Moses story, Moses is like, I can't, I don't, he's like still sends two. like, there just aren't, there's all, like all the instructions are in plurality. And when he sends in the, in that example, the 4,000, the 5,000 trying to feed people, he sends out the whole 12 and the end of the story I think it's a Luke and you know, Luke draws the, like the direct parallel that the very end that there were 12 basketfuls at the end that, so they started with five loaves and two fish, which is a seven, which is a whole other biblical normal thing. And at the end, there are 12 basketfuls left over, which was this instruction to them is like, if you would as, if you would en masse together, get in on this thing, I will, I will provide for you more than you can begin to imagine. But he called them as a whole group and sent them out as a group. It's always that way. The 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 you is always plural when it comes to uh, the instructions of the divine because the divine is a plurality. God is a plurality. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, every single time. Like God doesn't show up by himself and is like, hey, so I left the spirit at home. Jesus is mowing the lawn. Just want to get some time with you alone. It's always God the Trinity, every single time. God is a plurality speaking to us as a plurality, every single time. It's so contrary to how we preach. Yes. How we preach. Right. 
it's not con- yeah it's how it's if we're on if if you and I are honest for a minute it's it's contrary to the way that white male evangelicalism preaches it's not contrary to the way if you're if you're part of the black church tradition the instructions are cultural 95% of the time how are we doing this as a family how are you doing this as a family that what you're doing as a person that the instructions about manhood in 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 the black church tradition have to do with who you are to your brothers your sisters your wives your family your kids it's not like what are you doing about your quiet time as an individual are you getting your 15 minutes in on on monday mornings that's us. And I don't know where it came from. It didn't come from Jesus and it didn't come from the scriptures. It probably came from some folks that wanted to sell some devotionals. It's the whole marketplace of ideas and products. Is like, I, if I can isolate you, I can sell you things. The scriptures say, I don't want to isolate you. I want to get you in a tribe of people in which like who you are is uh, predicated on who, are your, who you're in a relationship with, which is to say, and we'll come all the way back, you're limited. You can only care about and do so much. And the person next to you will care about and do other things. And so you don't have to be an individual that has to care about absolutely everything. It's enough for you to care about what you care about. She cares about that. Awesome. So champion her. You do your thing. And I will accomplish all things through you in my time and according to my wisdom. That's the biblical narrative. Great thoughts, man. Thank you. And thanks for being on the show. If people wanted to connect with you and find out more about what you got going on, how could they do that? Um, just my name anywhere on the internet. <laughs> So, uh, Justin McRoberts on Facebook, uh, this is a personal page and, uh, and then the professional page. Um, I think my personal page is Mick. What's his face actually. And then, uh, the professional page is Justin McRoberts. All, all the same stuff goes up on both pages. Twitter is Justin McRoberts. Um, Instagram is Justin McRoberts. And if you want to find a hub for all of it, it's just justinmcroberts.com. I'm, I'm all those places. It's great, man. We'll throw it all in the show notes, but again, thanks for being on the show. My pleasure, dude. Thank you. That wraps up this episode of The Dismantle. Thanks for connecting with us. You can find us on Instagram at dismantlepod or shoot us an email at dismantlepod at gmail.com. Until next time, don't complain about the things you're not willing to change. Mm